Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindsets, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. And when you're ready to go further in mastering your finances, come and work with me on a one-to-one coaching. You'll grow your awareness, move on with your projects, and have an accountability buddy to track your progress. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Simon, the CFO and co-founder of Havre, a software company that uses technology to unlock doors and turn anyone's smartphone into their key. His story is out of the ordinary as he became an entrepreneur while studying at university. He also studied to have employees at the age of 20, even before having ever worked himself. With a partner, they grew the business and other product is capex intensive, they raised capital a few times for a total of 5.5 million euros. And that's what we're going to focus on. He's been awarded Forbes under 30, so let's hear about his spectacular experience for such a young age. So hi, Simon. So nice to speak to you. How are you? Hi, nice to speak to you, Marika. I'm great. You? Yeah, cool, cool. So I'm super excited about today's chat. So you're 26 now and your experience is really amazing. So you've already seen a lot between launching a business, finding a business partner, being a CEO, growing your business, pitching to raise funds. So super happy to hear about your adventure and your views on things as you probably learned a lot on the go. So can you tell us a bit of about your background and how everything started on the entrepreneurial side? Yes, of course. I've got a French engineering background in mathematics and computer science. And on the top of that, I studied business at Stanford. I say that everything started by serendipity. So you were a student and that's pretty unusual to even think about starting a business then. So can you tell us what happened? Yeah, like you said, it's a bit unusual. However, I do believe that it's the best time to start a business. In wealth management, there's always a part of risk management. And I think it's the less risky time in your life to try to start a business and to learn those skills. So unusual, but I think it's the best time. And everything started in Italy during a winter competition on an engineering topic. And then we got an idea to solution a problem that we were facing. And at the end, We just like put one foot in front of the others and the journey began. And when you say being a student was a perfect timing, is it because you have nothing to lose because you haven't built anything? Is it because you have lots of energy because you're still young? Is it because, I don't know, you're still learning something so you have your side activity, but it's not like all of your time? I think you have the 
eagerness to learn things. So this appetite make it easy to start. Okay, sounds good. And so after a while, you needed a business partner. So how did you find him? First, my business partner was and is still a friend, a very good friend. <laughs> and I often get this question, and I think you don't have to force things. Like uh, I know like a couple of uh, company like organize meetings so you can meet your potential associate. I do not really believe on that. I think a partner is often like your wife or husband. So it depends on what you value. On my side, for example, I really value trust and someone that has no ego at all because uh, being an entrepreneur is often uh, changing your job, hiring people better than you. So you have to, I think, the least ego of the company to do that. So I, I was looking for this kind of people. And also, since you know, an entrepreneurial journey often takes between eight up to 10 years. You have to really, really have confidence in the people you'll be working with because you're kind of, uh, you'll link with him or her and link with in, in many aspects, financially, under the law. I mean, it's kind of getting married. <laughs> yeah. And I really like your mentality. I mean, it, yeah, trust and um, yeah, like off he goes, it sounds good. So if we go back to growing your business, so at the really onset, what were the first few things that you did and why? Like we said, I was eager to learn. I knew nothing at all in this topic. I just, I was studying computer science. So my brain wasn't wired to this kind of skills. Mm -hmm. So I got the phone and called a few entrepreneurs who just started your company or were one or two years ahead. And ask them question, ask them good book reference to read, and I'm starting to learn. And what is really important above all those things is to go in in action. So on the at the onset, I just call people, get reference recommendation, learn the maximum, but then try to apply it. And that's really good because you kind of asking for help. Do you have any contact to recommend me? Do you have any books? And we don't often dare, but it's how you learn. So that's, yeah, it takes a bit of courage, but it's uh, it's great. You know, one of the head of sales we had in the company, and it's called Emmanuel Remy, he's like 45 years old. He told me these things. It's the strong people who ask for help, not the weak one. And I think it's one of the very best advice I I had in my life. Yeah, oh, I'm so with you. I think we, we don't do it often. We don't do it enough. Yeah, because people normally, as soon as you open up and you ask questions, they're really keen to help you. And if they can't really help, they will give you another contact that maybe will be able to help. So it's a kind of a positive cycle. Being able to show you vulnerable, a bit weak, I think it gives more authenticity on who you are. It shows that you're open also for learning and you're open-minded. So, yeah, it's also reflecting people's attitude. Yeah, yeah. No, like it, like it. And if we go to money now, so when did you start to pay yourself? 
So we started the journey in February 2016. And at the end, we started to pay ourselves 2,000 euros per month on July 2018. Okay, so a bit more than two years, which is, yeah, as expected. Um, <laughs> I'm really not surprised. Okay. And can you give us a few numbers now that we're five years on? Yes. So first of all, we've just been acquired on October's this year, 2021. And at the top, the company, we eat 25 employees and a 50 quarterly growth rate on revenue. 50%? Yeah. Wow, that's 50, cool. 53 to be, to, be, to be fair. Yeah. So yeah, at the end, we cracked something. And I think this is what people call startup, is when you feel this acceleration, but it's not like growing by 10%, which is really good. Uh, but startup is when you crack a way to market or, or you've got a certain product market fit that accelerate your business above 30% by yearly. Mm-hmm. I think it's this kind of acceleration that looking for startups. How do you explain the growth? What do you think made it really like room? <laughs> the product maturity first, then the understanding of customers, what they were looking for, and a lot of new skills in the company on growth acquisition, on sales management, on sales power by technology. So, yeah, we just had a fresh new team in September 2020. And I think it really kicked off the company also. Okay, so it's really having the right people at the right positions so that everybody is performing together because you can't have the best product if you don't have the best marketing team or the sales and everything is like linked. So as soon as you've reached the sweet spot, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. It was kind of crazy. I mean, when we talk about this this period with those friends today, we were like working from like 7 a.m. to like 7 p.m. nonstop. But the reason was so intense. No one was taking even holidays. So it was like during a year, a crazy time. Yeah. And let's not forget, because it's often like the brain selectively remembers, oh, yeah, you often forget all the efforts or like all the energies that have, has been put into it. You only look at the end results. So that's good. You actually say you've been working a lot. Yeah, we've been working a lot. And I think something I can say is that what really takes time in building a business is not a product market fit or having a mature solution. I think what really takes a lot of time is finding the right people, A players. And it's really, really long. It takes a lot of times you're going to make mistakes. And when you've got the right people, then things also accelerate. And it's really what's hard in, in building a business is finding the right people. So you've been awarded Forbes under 30. Can you tell us how did it happen? Are there any criteria you need to fill? Or why do you think you made the cut? It's a great award. And again, the story is kind of basic. My Constance, my marketing manager, she made the application for me. And I don't really know why I made the cut. Because there is a jury, people I don't know, that select you or not. So. I don't really know the criteria, And the true story is kind of uh, funny because to be fair, we were in the lockdown in April 2020. 
And I've learned that on LinkedIn that I've been awarded by another award honorary that made a post quoting all the honorees. So I, no one called me to say, oh, you're going to be like featured or something. It's just like, congratulations to all the other honorees. And I was like, what? Why am I even tagged in this in this thing? I wasn't aware that Constance also made the application, so I was like, kind of okay, <laughs> great surprise. That's a good surprise, though. You you don't see the groundwork, and yeah, it happens. That's great. <laughs> and did it have an impact on your business, maybe through reputation or new opportunities? Yeah, a little bit, but it, it's mainly had an impact on me, on my confidence, because I was like twenty four at this time. And being acknowledged by your peers, it made you realize who you are and that it also validated to me that I made the right choice. I, I took the right decision to become an entrepreneur. And it, it had a major impact on me, really. Okay, super interesting. So then you wanted to grow at some point. So financially speaking, what were the options you envisaged? So. We were another company, so we had two options because bootstrapping wasn't possible at all because financially speaking, it costs too much. So we had two options, debt or fundraising. And we first choose to go to fundraising and not debt, firstly because we, at this age and with, this, and with my French culture, I was kind of scared a bit about that and wasn't really understanding how it was working. So we just go to fundraising. So who did you get in touch with? So often there's two options. You either have the business angels who are successful individuals using their own funds to invest in businesses. But you also have venture capital funds, who are also called VCs, and who manage their clients' pool of money. So which one or was it a mix of both? We got in touch with both business angels, VCs, and we worked with business angels mainly, even though we had one fund at the capital. I think for two reasons. The way you convince business angels and VC are not the same. And at 22 years old, I think I was this kind of age when I first fundraised, I wasn't aware about all the figures VC will be looking at or all those things. So it was easier to fundraise with business angels because it's more human oriented. And being young, you have a kind of sympathy capital that apply also. So I think it's uh, give you an advantage whether VC they like figures oriented. And when you're not aware about what they're looking, even if you can read on the subject, it's hard. VCs are really like professional investors. And they put big money on the table. So I think I wasn't mature enough to go to VCs, even though we had one fund at the end. Yeah, that's super interesting. So VCs, yeah, they're really more process-oriented. And how do you define a target amount to raise? Best advice, you estimate the cash you're going to need at least to operate 24 months. Okay. I think 24 months is sufficient to reach, I don't know, the break, to, be, to become break-even or to, to reach a certain milestones where VCs will put new fresh money on the table. So it depends on your business. But yeah, if you go to fundraise, just take 24 working months ahead 
Otherwise, it's going to be too short to accomplish things. Yeah, especially because we're going to see a bit later, like about pitching, but it takes a lot of your time. So <laughs> you need to focus a bit more. And how many times did you raise capital? And what were the reasons behind each of them? So two times we raised capital and one time we raised debt. And the reason was to just unlock new steps to our business. Either it was to hire experienced, talented people, or the other one was to, when, for example, when we raised debt, it was to finance production machines. Okay, so really expanding or recruiting and yeah, developing the, the business. Cool. So let's talk about pitching now because it's a real job. <laughs> so how do you prepare? Did you have advisors or were you part of an incubator to have some help? How do you start? So first of all, we were part of uh, Plug and Play and Neura Technology incubators. So one is US-based and the other one is French-based. Mm -hmm. So the way I proceeded was first reading books on how to pitch and looking also on what VCs were looking at in a pitch. Then I Google pitch deck online to understand where the market was currently standing. And at the end, I just made a list of 10 targets and all of them from the least interesting to the most value one I'd like to have at my capital and then go live and eat the road. So you really self-taught in a way. You read the books, you go on Google and then you get on with it. It's impressive. The very first book I read on the subject was Pitch Anything. It really also helps in negotiating with people. It explains you the, what framing is, and it's a really, really good book. Cool. I'll, I'll have a look. Thanks. <laughs> and um, how many VCs and business angels did you meet, all in all? And how many rounds of interviews did you have each? Because I know it takes a lot of time. And how did, how did you go experience-wise? Tough question. I met a lot of people. First, people often say it takes six months to fundraise. It's kind of the average. Of course, you can you can go quicker, but uh, do not underestimate the time it takes from the first time you meet someone to getting money on the account. It really, really can take on average six months. Okay. So basically, business angels it takes two rounds to get their letter of intent mm -hmm. and VCs from five up to seven eight rounds they're more like like you said process oriented and you go really it's, it's kind of a pyramidal organization so you really start with the even the intern and then you go to the analyst and then you go to the analyst managers and then you go to the directors and at the end you have this uh, pitch in front of uh, the board sometimes Mm -hmm. So yeah, it really can take a lot of time. I and mean, if one of those like round doesn't go well, then you're like kick out and you're not able to reach them before like 16, 18 months. So it's a tough game. Interesting one, but tough game. And opening your capital, of course, means that you have to be diluted. 
which means the percentage of the company's ownership decreases as a result of the new equity. So what's your take on company ownership and how much equity do you still own with your business partner? And I think you're not in majority anymore. So do you find it an issue? So we got diluted below 50%. My associate and I were 45 when we sold the company. I don't think it's uh, an issue because even if you don't hold the majority, you can still get the majority of votes. Equity isn't the right question. Okay, it's more vote ownership than or strategy. Exactly. It's a political game. So talking about your next ventures, you said you sold your company, Av. Does it mean what you're not involved anymore or you still have a management role or does it work and what's next then for you yeah the company has been acquired like four or five months ago by a large crop called uh, sfpi it's a 600 million euro business and my, my role is sales director in this new entity under uh i don't know six up to 12 months i'll be able to have a free to leave to start my my new journey Okay. So it's like a transitionary period, let's say. Yes. When you sell your company, you have to do this uh, transition management, not only for you and not only for the one who is purchasing the company, but also and mainly for your employee. Mm, I see. Okay. And it means you have no more shareholding on that company. No, no more. Everything has been acquired. And why was the reason behind the sale? Did you, I don't know, was it a good opportunity? Do you want to do something else? We were looking to fundraise again. And then when we realized the, I mean, when also I realized how tired were the people in the company, I knew that fundraising would have meant another like at least 24 months of 150% involvement. I also was exhausted and uh, wasn't ready for like this new step. Mm -hmm. So we decided to finally be happy about where we were since we started from a white page. Yeah. And leave it to someone bigger that can take it. Yeah, it's a good reason. And it's good. No need to push yourself beyond what you want to. So that's good. Cool. So I always leave a few questions at the end to kind of open the subject. And with you being an entrepreneur and having a lot of your wealth in your company, how do you manage your own money? Do you follow a specific strategy on your side? Do you plan to invest for your retirement? Do you want, I don't know, more stable revenues or not really? You just go with the flow. Before last year, I was going with the flow. I was like, focus on the business and all this retirement question and, and since I have no kid wasn't really kind of a question mm -hmm. and also because I'm seeing my parents grandparents getting older I realized the importance of retirement invest having an investment strategy mm -hmm. so I'm currently being advised to plan my like wealth management for the next 30 years and we all know that the sooner we start the better it is Yeah. So I'm also learning on trading to share my skills, for example, on the option contract, on like daily trading, having a position 
all those things. So yeah, this currently, uh, I think my year will be dedicating to learning and getting advice to build a plan for the next like 30 years. Amazing. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, putting your hands on, that, that's great. Cool. And do you have a daily routine or what kind of people are you? I think I'm a kind of people you, you read in a book. I try to wake up early in the morning. I often try to wake up around 5 a.m. I really like this, this time where everyone sleeps. You have this magic feeling of being in advance compared to the world. It's really, really cool. And then you can also take all the time you want for you. And it's, just, I mean, I found this waking up really, really powerful. The secret to wake up early is then to go to bed early also. Yeah. So try to sleep before 10. Mm -hmm. So I can have my seven up to eight hours of sleep. Eating is super important. On the past eight months, I've been reading a lot on the subject. So I clean my plate of sugar. So I do not take sugar anymore. I try to read book as much as I can. And for the next like 10 years, I'd like to also explore the world. So to learn also how people do business in, in Asia, in Africa, or in South America. So I'd, li I'd like to start also visiting the world. Okay, so thank you so much, Simon, for this chat. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for shedding a light on your experience of being having a startup and raising capital. It's clearly a question a lot of people ask themselves at some point, and you better be prepared. So thanks for all your tips. Thank you so much, and I wish you lots of good things for the future. Bye, Marika. Take care. Thank you. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at marikafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.